Welcome to the American Cinematographer podcast. My name is Jim Hempill, and I'm a contributing writer at American Cinematographer magazine. My guest today is Faden Papamichael ASC, an award-winning cinematographer who began in features by working for producer Roger Corman, with whom he shot seven movies in two years. Since then, he's photographed over 35 features in a diverse range of genres, from comedies like Mouse Hunt and Cool Runnings, to critically acclaimed dramas such as Unstrung Heroes and Moonlight Mile. He's worked with Vim Vendors, Oliver Stone, and Alexander Payne, and is an accomplished director in his own right of features, television, and commercials. One of his frequent creative partners is director James Mangold, with whom Faden first worked on the thriller Identity. Since that film, they've done a musical biopic, Walk the Line, a western, 310 to Yuma, and now, with their latest collaboration, Night and Day, a romantic chase movie in the tradition of North by Northwest and Charade. The film stars Cameron Diaz as June Havens, a woman whose life is turned upside down by a chance meeting with secret agent Roy Miller, played by Tom Cruise. The two are thrown together on a globe-trotting adventure as they flee from another agent who set Roy up, or so Roy claims. As the pair flees from both government operatives and crime lords, June and Roy fall in love. But all the while, neither of them is sure if they can really trust the other. Um, so I, I want to start by asking a little bit about your collaboration with James Mangold and how it works, because obviously you guys have formed a really successful partnership. You've gone from the limited scope of identity, which takes place in basically one location, to night and day, which travels all over the world. Uh, when did Mangold first approach you about this project? It was actually uh, something we weren't sure when it was going to go. I guess it's sort of been in development for a while, and then um, it, it, it generated quick, and we we kind of jumped into, into it pretty quickly. Um, what was your reaction when you first read the script? Because it's pretty different from the other films that you guys had done together. Yes, it is. And, you know, we both hadn't really tackled uh, a picture like this, uh, you know, in terms of budget and um, size and logistics and countries. Uh, I mean, just, you know, when you do a picture like this, it really becomes all about uh, uh, you know, the mechanics of it, it's like uh, more, you know, your organizational skills sort of get tested more than anything. It becomes this gigantic puzzle of elements that, um, you know, you need to keep tracking and it's, you know, and I'm used to more intimate stories and so is Jim and, you know, you feel like you're, when you complete a scene that you've actually shot a scene, it's, it's rarely the case in a picture like this. I mean, there's some exceptions. We do have some dramatic scenes that we shot, but most of the time, you know, you end up shooting part of something that you will later shoot elements for or three months, you know, down the road or, or vice versa. You, you know, you shoot some part of a scene that, that you don't even really know how the reverse is going to work. I mean, it just becomes, you know, plus, Plus you have a second unit that's extensive, you know, and I've never really had that, uh, you know, so it also becomes a task of coordinating all their elements. I mean, just to give you an example of this, that, you know, the, initially that big car chase on the I-80 or I forget in Boston. Right. And, you know, in, in the movie, it's a sequence, you know, it's pretty elaborate. I mean, the car chases and all kinds of, you know, he flips and rolls off of cars and motorcycles and dialogue inside cars. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a five-minute sequence in the movie, perhaps. And it was shot over, you know, maybe nine days for first unit. I would say at least another, you know, eight to ten days on second unit. 
um, Boston, of course, you know, one day it's, or, you know, half a day it's completely socked in, cloudy, the next day it's full on sun, and the contrast when the sun comes out is pretty extreme. So not only that, you know, you're doing interiors for plates that will be generated who knows when uh, and by what unit and uh, you know, so it's it's very you know that really becomes a challenge. It's it's just kind of trying to make it all fit and um, you know tracks sort of any kind of continuity. So that to me was a very new experience, and for Jim also. And you know, there's actually one funny moment when um, you know we had shot some elements for uh, the chase in Sevilla in Spain with the cars and the bulls and um, Tom and Cameron on the red Ducati and you know the second unit director had done some shots and and the, you know we are tracking things uh, by assembling it as we go and then also looking you know whatever is missing is actually previs you know in sequences like that it you know we do previs uh, those sequences because it would be first of all impossible to you know, decide who's doing what and, and also uh, to budget anything. So um, it's the first time Mangold and I work with a previs. I mean, we barely even work with storyboards, you know, in the past. Um, and, you know, we looked at the sequence and actually um, Brian Smirts, the second unit director, um, is, is, is showing us this thing and we're like looking at it and, you know, there's, you know, quite a few things that we had done in there. And we're looking at the sequence and it just seems like so, you know, strange to us. We were, I said to Jim, wow, this is, you know, something you directed, you know, and then he goes, yeah, and you shot it. You know, it's almost like we're looking at, at a, it's, it becomes this beast that sort of creates itself and, and really doesn't, become complete till, well, in this case, like the very, very last moment before delivery. I mean, there were, you know, prints being looked at and struck and ready to ship to eight markets that, that didn't even have the final effects in. You know, it's, it just becomes such an incredible um, assembly of, you know, plus you add uh, reshoots, you know, st uh, Pickups, uh, you know, so it really it's it's hard to you know I think that was the biggest challenge for us just to, to you know track all that and in that find what really is the most important part of the story. I mean, it does have all the action and all that, but like you know track the characters and track their chemistry and track their relationship and and you know Jim of course is great at that and uh, you know so for him it was finding you know the intimate romance story in that whole big circus and you know for me it was making that work you know being able to focus in on those characters and, and make that work in addition to you know all the action because you know the action has to be you know on par with with other action movies um, like some, you know in the sense of mission three or something like that so but in a way, you know, we did always have an excuse. We always thought of this film as like an old-fashioned movie. You mentioned North by Northwest or To Catch a Thief. You know, so to have a little bit of that, you know, I wouldn't really say hokiness to the composite sometimes. And like, so, but we always were kind of in the back of our minds thinking, well, you know, if it's not all that super sleek in terms of, you know, it is more a film in that 
vein of those older films. So if, you know, if maybe a, a backdrop or a green screen doesn't look as so perfect, you know, it could kind of work. And uh, you know, we we try to have fun with it. I mean, the movie you're supposed to just have fun and really not analyze so much the all the little logic questions. Uh, you kind of have to, you know, go with the flow and accept it, and you know, just enjoy them. Um, I mean, James was. Recently, we were talking. He says, "You know, the critics have been, you know, they're divided on it. They really like it, and the ones that don't like it, he felt was kind of strange because they would get caught up on like plot points and and you know, one per one critic asked him specifically, like, you know, why uh, why do you th think like in movies today maybe people aren't paying so much attention to certain you know logic." Um, the way they did in old movies, and he said his response was, "Are you trying to tell me that, like in North by Northwest, <laughs> right. well, how exactly did they tend to kill Cary Grant right. with a biplane? You right. know, like <laughs> were they going to fly it into the ground and kill him that way, crash it on top of him? I mean, you know, so I mean, anyway, it's it's it's, uh, but it was you know it was uh, definitely a, a big challenge for both of us and." Um, we enjoyed it because we, you know, consider us kind of people that can tackle different genres. I mean, Mangold is, you know, we're, we're sort of storytellers and craftsmen that can really, I mean, identity being sort of a horror film and walk the line of biopic, really like different um, genres. And uh, we sort of embrace that and welcome that. So, and it's every time you do a new genre, I mean, we did a Western together, you know, none of us had ever done a Western, obviously, and so it's, it's always nice to, and it's just happened to be with him where, you know, we've literally hit, like in the four pictures we've done, you know, everyone is, is very, very different, you know, um, so that's, that's been fun to explore that with him. Well, and you mentioned the North by Northwest and To Catch a Thief, and I think something that this film has in common with those movies and a lot of other films of that era is, it really is kind of a love letter to the actors. There's a real old-fashioned sense of Hollywood glamour, and I love the way that you guys introduce Tom Cruise in the movie because it basically announces to the audience right off the bat, it's this guy's movie. It reminds you why he's a movie star. And yeah. I was wondering about your approach to the actors and about your collaboration with them and what, uh, you know, what, what you're feeling, if, you if that's what you were going for, was that sort of, you know, really classic old-fashioned glamour, because this is almost like a movie that would have had Cary Grant and even yeah, Marie Sainz, something that was made in 1958. And Tom, you know, of course, his instincts are very good about this kind of stuff, and he was certainly aware of that as well, and, you know, he is, there's no question about it, I mean, he is a movie star. I mean, but just, he knows what works for him, little looks, you know, his smile, and you know that's we're milking all that, and he's you know he's very very good in um, you know creating those moments, and he understands what that means to be a movie star, you know, and he, you know he can't help it, he just is, you know. <laughs> even, I mean, this movie, you know, his character there's a little, you know, irony to it. I mean, he's not the super. I mean, there's some, you know, he's dysfunctional in some way, but you know, it makes it very sympathetic, and um, you know the fact that. You know he's he's not always perfect, and you know they have their little quarrels and all that. I think it's, it makes it very charming. But uh, you know, speaking of Tom, I mean, you know, obviously before we went in, you know, you, you hear stories about Tom, and uh, you know, and everyone's always 
said, you know, his work ethic is incredible. He's the first one there in the morning, the last one to leave. But I really, we really embraced his input. And um, again, you know, not having done really action to the degree that he's done it, uh, you know, it would have been silly not to pay attention to him. But he really, really knows what works for him. Um, little examples, like we designed a sequence in Salzburg. We have this whole sequence, you know, that starts him on the roofs running and trying to escape. And then we had pre-scouted with Jim. I mean, not much. We got there like literally 24 hours before we started shooting there. Um, but we had found those amazing stairs leading down this rock into this castle area. And we'd be like, we have to use those. That's cool. And so, you know, Tom arrives and we walk him through sort of the design of the sequence and show him the locations. And he looks at the stairs and he's kind of quiet and we're like, what's wrong? He's like, yeah, it's very nice, but me running downstairs doesn't look cool. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, no matter how I would do it, if I take two steps at a time, three steps, it just doesn't look cool. <clears throat> and it's something, you know, you would never really think about right. as a normal human being. <laughs> but, but then, you know, then you think about it, and it's true, like somebody running downstairs, it's just, you can't really, uh, you know, it just looks like a guy running. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do in a, in a hurry. So, and, and that's great having that, you know, having a guy know that, you know, and, and, and helping us all along, you know, he was constantly very involved with all the stunt work, all the action sequences, would design things, you know, of course that caused problem because you know, in a picture like that, if, if he says, you know, this is great, I want to leap from this roof to this roof and hang off a gutter, and, you know, and it's great. And it was like nobody is saying it's not a great thing. But, you know, that involves like another three days of pre-rig, you know, a stunt pre-rig crew. And so, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it can, it's a little dangerous from a production standpoint. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, there's nobody really who's a higher authority that is, coming in and saying no to Tom. So, you know, it falls often just upon, you know, the stunt crew and myself and Jim to, you know, try and squeeze it in and make it all work in the schedule. Um, because he's used to, you know, operating on a, on a big scale. So, um, but it, it, it's, it's great having a professional like that and somebody really understanding, you know, what it's all about and, you know, would have been much more difficult for Jim and myself to, to tackle this whole thing with, you know, an actor that didn't have that experience, I think. So we really embraced that. Well, how much flexibility did you have in terms of uh, if Cruz came up with ideas or Mangold or you came up with ideas? I mean, I know you said you had to pre a lot. Was there a balance that you struck between how closely you had to stick to the previs and storyboards and, and how spontaneous you could be in the moment? Because I, I read an interview with Mangold in the LA Times where he kind of implied that there were times where you guys could be a little bit looser than you might think on a movie Well, like yeah. I mean, the previs really applied to uh, mostly to the car chases because of, you know, it really getting split up between first and second unit. So, you know, it had to be really analyzed what elements they do and what we do. Um, a little beyond just like we do everything with actors because then there are rigs where Tom and you know Tom also wanting to be physically involved in doing most of his stunts and I must say it is true he did whatever is possible you know to the point where you know I mean our stunt coordinators I mean they were really 
concern, his enthusiasm. I mean, he's very good at it, but I mean, you know, it's him running on these slippery roofs and uh, it's him hanging off cars with, you know, of course, with little safety wires, but he, he does, you know, a lot of stunt work. And, um, uh, you know, so the previs really just applied, I think, to the car scenes and then, you know, the main sequence, which is all in Spain when they escape on the Ducati and then you got the smart cars chasing them and the bulls and all that. So, because also, that had to be broken down in previous because the bulls were partially real bulls and initially going to be all real bulls and then increasingly became uh, CG bulls. So that really had to be broken down. But a lot of sequences and, and Salzburg being the best example for it, uh, you know, partially due to the fact that we really couldn't prep the picture the way you would think a picture of this size and with this kind of complicated um, stunt work should be prepped. I mean, we went to, we were shooting in Boston. Uh, a lot of the problem came from the fact that like the script really wasn't even completely f developed to the end. Like there were sequences that sort of roughly were described as what they were gonna be, but it really uh, depended on us actually picking the location and, and, and defining the action. You know, it said, for example, in the end, something like, you know, they, they run to a powerboat and jump in and, you know, but then we realized, well, you know, we can't stage that, like there's no access really to, for the boat, and then, so then it became like a plane. I mean, it just constantly was changing those elements. So. Um, so to, to, to go, the Salzburg, whole Salzburg roof sequence, which is pretty extensive, was not designed at all. And we also, we were shooting, you know, already in Boston. So it's like we had flown there once for like a day. We were one, one literally maybe 12 hours in Salzburg, then flew, this is on a weekend while we're shooting in Boston, then uh, flew to Spain, sort of walked around several cities you know, and just basically you got a, an impression of what the cities are and, you know, maybe an inspiration of what could be designed there, but really nothing beyond that. So then we go back, we finish Boston, and then we do the company move to Europe, which is, you know, big enough of a problem just to move everything. And, and we land there and, you know, like I said, we maybe got there 24 hours before Tom did. Um, and walking around the city and we're winging, we're coming up with a sequence. Like we're really like designing it there on the spot. So that was, you know, that is not previs. That's completely, and actually, I think it's one of the most interesting and successful <laughs> sections of a movie. And we only had a week to do it and, you know, we did move it up. And so we actually got lucky. We avoided snow and all that, which would have made it impossible and very, very difficult. And uh, it was all night and, you know, I, I, I mean, it basically had to light up the whole town. So, I mean, just in terms of equipment, I had to bring everything from Vienna and from Munich. I brought like 40 electricians in, you know, like 30 from Vienna, the 20 from uh, Munich. It was just piecing it all together. And, and but uh, we, we sort of designed that whole thing on the spot and it worked great. And, you know, Tom is also great with doing that. I mean, that's actually when he came up with a lot of ideas that, you know, made it even, you know, a little, more complicated, but but you know it's, he's most of the time he's right about when he's suggesting like it needs a little extra here, so we were able to accommodate him. But um, and then you know there are many other sequences like a individual 
smaller things just with him and Cameron where you know it was very much more treated like uh, a more dramatic piece where you know we're watching their rehearsal they had you know great interaction Cameron I should mention obviously of course is also very good with this kind of stuff I mean Charlie's Angels I mean she's very good physically and you know they really had like a little stick going and in the rehearsal and would discover things and you know always having fun with it and you know we definitely try to take advantage of all those moments as well and um, we're able to mix that up. And you mentioned a lot of different locations and the movie and there's some we haven't even talked about like there's a tropical that scene sequence that I guess was in the Caribbean. That's similar I would say to Austria uh, in terms of you know, we knew we have a beach, and we'd go. We went there again. You know, like maybe maximum forty-eight hours before you know the company. Or I mean, the only time that was bought was by you know the equipment taking a little longer to get there. I mean, it was very little prep every time. So we, we you know we'd walk around on the beach and you know place the hut, and okay, the hut gets gets built here, and uh, and you know the rest we kind of. Uh, sort of made up on the spot. But that's one ability um, that, that, that Jim has. And, you know, our collaboration, I mean, it, it being the fourth film. And, I mean, in Walk the Line, we did a lot of that. There's a lot of freer improvisation of stuff, working with Joaquin and, you know, the musical sequence on stage. So we, we're, you know, we have a great operator, David Luckenbach. It's the same team, you know, he's very good at handle, Steadicam. And, you know, we have the ability to watch a block and watch a rehearsal and and go straight into it. You will never see us sort of having a discussion about how we're going to cover a scene. I mean, it's it's pretty automatic for us. I mean, we have very similar sensibilities in terms of shots and, you know, taste in terms of, and it's not like he wants to do a lot of coverage and I want to reduce it. I mean, we're pretty in sync on all that. And with, again, the help of Luckenbach, um, our a camera operator who also has very good instinct. So, I mean, we're very comfortable throwing him into something that they're doing, you know, whether it's completely worked out or it's semi-improvisational. I mean, we're very confident with, you know, Trevor Loomis, our first, and, and David Luckenbach just going in there and, and capturing things and, and maintaining a certain freedom in that sense, you know, not restricting the actors to completely design blocking and uh, and they loved it, you know, it's fun. I mean, in, in Jamaica on the beach, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, them sort of fighting around on the beach and rolling around and running and, and all that's kind of, we're just, you know, coming up with it and doing it right there on the spot. I mean, it's not, it's not previous, it's not designed in any sense. Did you ever worry about uh, shooting in all these different locations? Did you worry that it would be difficult to keep a cohesive visual style for the movie? Or Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what I said earlier. I mean, that's definitely the biggest challenge. I mean, first of all, you know, we're shooting over, you know, a very long period of time in all these countries. And, and Spain also, you know, it was winter. It's not like, oh, it's sunny every day. I mean, um, and we're, you know, we're in a great rush the entire time, and we're shooting till as late as we can, and um, so that, yes, I, mean, I was worried about it, and you really never get a sense of what the whole picture is. I mean, you know, you follow your instincts, you know, all the little tricks that you've learned, and try to make things match, and sometimes, you know, you try not to commit, like I'm shooting an interior of a train, and 
you know, there's going to be later be helicopter shots of that train. I have no idea are they going to be in the sun or is it going to be a, a snowy day. So, you know, maybe I want to push in hard light for the windows, but I'm not really committing to that, uh, although it would look great. Because what if, you know, you're trying to, without making it boring, you know, but like kind of try and play it safe so you could, um, you know, have those, all those elements come together in a cohesive manner. But it's definitely, uh, you know, it's difficult to track, you know, just because, like I said, you know, there's a close-up that you shoot against a green screen in Boston, or like that whole sequence on the balcony in the hotel where they talk across the balconies, that's a set in Boston with green screen. And, you know, um, you know, you when you talk about it, you go, well, that would be nice to have that take place at dusk. So am I committing to sort of a dusk, or is it night for night, or it might be nice that we do it dusky, and, you know, so we, when we get the plates, you know, you feel the city, and it's like this blue glow, and... You know, so I kind of, you know, uh, proceeding on the assumption that that's what we're going to do. Now, of course, with people that, uh, you know, I'm, am I there when they do the plates? No. Do I give them notes? Yes. Will they actually be executed right? Do they really fully understand the intent? Uh, you know, and that communication in post, especially if you're not around, and as a DP, that raises this whole other issue, you know, how much, I mean, now with all these elements and, you know, we in a way need to be more involved to really follow through on all those things and then the DI and, you know, and of course I was on another picture in Hawaii the whole time and, you know, you, you hope that everything gets communicated and passed on and, you know, there's a lot of people involved. It's not like, oh, there's a one visual effect guy, you know. I mean, ideally, yes, and he carries on those intents and your vision, but uh, you know, they're like, I don't know, 300 people working on, you know, one guy no one's ever going to meet or know is working on this shot. and So it's a little scary. And then, you know, if it all comes together and you watch it and, you know, is the movie perfect uh, in terms of that? No, but I mean, I, I have to say I watched it and I'm like, I'm pretty happy the way it came together. I mean, considering all those things. You know, the editor plays a big part of it. I mean, Mike McCusker is, has a lot of experience, comes from big visual effects movies, uh, like the first day after tomorrow. And, uh, um, you know, you, 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 it's great. You watch it and you go, wow, you know, that, how we, in theory, thought it's going to work, actually worked like that. You know, and that's very satisfying. But that sensation doesn't come, like, till much later, you know, when, I mean, it's, it's just like, while you're doing it, it's really just all these balls up in the air and you're trying to hold on to some kind of, you know, follow-through visual. Um. Well, one thing that is very consistent about the movie is the, uh, the palette. I think you guys use color really well to accentuate the love story and the action and the ways that the colors kind of become steadily more vibrant and intense in places. And I, I know this movie reunited you with Andrew Menzies, who was also the production designer on 310 to Yuma. And I was wondering what kind of conversations you guys or you and Mangold had about color in the film and what your yeah, approach I mean, was there. Uh, you know, going back to the old-fashioned sort of films and sort of a technical look, and, you know, Mangold in general likes things sort of on the brighter side and, and, and saturated. And that's, you know, part of it is that's just his personal taste. And, you know, part of it in this story is like, you know, it should, it's a fun movie, you know, and I'm not making, uh, 
uh, a dark film. It's you know, it's and you know we're in Spain. You know, we have great colors, great textures. You know, we're in Jamaica. There's beautiful water, and you know, just we embrace that and go with that. Um, and you know, uh, it starts in Boston. So by pure nature of what you know, the palette is in that city. It's it's a little more muted and you know, browns and bricks and overcast and it was kind of fall and so that works in terms of a story as she gets liberated and swept up in this whirlwind and you know this crazy man takes her you know on this completely unexpected journey around the world um, it also becomes more interesting and visually and more poppy and more colorful and more fun but you know it's of course partially due to the locations but you know that is intentional I mean we're going to Spain to photograph that for that reason. So, uh, and you know, Menzies, I mean, is, we're very involved with the palettes and the color and you know, that's one person actually you're, you are sort of, he's helping you track that and we are very much in collaboration on that and trying to, um, you know, help that whole follow through line and the uh, the widescreen aspect ratio obviously also helps the kind of uh, lush, glamorous look. Everything. Um, what uh, I'm assuming was was widescreen was that ratio decided up upon pretty much from the start. Yes. And it's uh, something. I mean, not just because of this kind of movie, but I do think it's fun for a movie like this. I mean, we just like it in general. It's it's something uh, I introduced Mangle to on Walk the Line. Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, identity right. was anamorphic, uh, and he really fell in love with it because we do, we cover. You know, we're not so long lensy, or we're not long lens shooters. We we like to get close to actors, and so we're usually around a you know thirty five, forty for the close ups instead of just longer lens punching. And we actually like to physically move in closer when we go closer, and then you know having all that space. And, and the widescreen aspect is, is nice because um, it, it allows us to play with certain dynamics of other people and uh, it's just something we really uh, come to appreciate a lot um, on the Walker line and, and on identity. It's just like I've always, you know, we like off-centering or centering things and having space on a face and having spaces on both sides where you can follow other action and, you know, we're not super cutty. I mean, our our coverage is usually not that conventional. We love to tie things in or rotate and reveal somebody or have somebody, you know, it'll be an over shoulder, but he'll turn into a profile and Jim loves like racking to something like that, like close and creating sort of a three quarter close up. And it's just something we like doing and, um, you know, it helps having that widescreen to play with that. And was it Super 35? Yeah, it was. What, uh, why did you choose that as opposed to Anamorphic? Uh, you know, we kind of, I mean, <laughs> we kind of, the picture came together quickly. Uh, actually, I was prepping a different picture that got canceled. I was going to do Gore Verbinski's Bioshock. Um, and, and so Universal pulled the plug on that. I was, we were aware, you know, Rick Heinrichs was already building sets and everything. So this came up quickly. I wasn't really prepping that much. And, uh, you know, I ba basically when I called and tried to pull an anamorphic package, uh, you know, with the extensive second unit and, you know, multiple packages and all that, like we didn't have enough lenses available to us. 
uh, especially wanting to use the new uh, Morphics um, at Panavision. But um, also, you know, I mean, Super 35, I'm not that reluctant to use it anymore. I mean, I, I used to really try to avoid it at all costs, but since of the DI and the film stocks, you know, I found that, um, you know, it handles, I mean, if you're not doing an optical blow up the way you used to have to, it's, it's become a lot more acceptable. I mean, I don't have any problems with grain or, you know, blacks being not solid. And so um, I don't mind using Super 35. Um, and, uh, you know, it does have some advantages. I mean, we were actually doing three perf, I think. And also, you know, the lenses are lighter. It's, it's, it's just quicker to maneuver. Was there any ever any consideration of shooting the movie digitally at all? Did you guys ever have those conversations? No. Mm -hmm. Luckily, uh, I think studio policy now is like they ask. I mean, I've been asked on Pursuit of Happiness, but Sony really was trying to do move to digital or first. <clears throat> um, I think they still ask you at one point, but so far I, I haven't never been forced to do it. Mm -hmm. I did test um, the Genesis on, on W. There were considerations on W, and uh, you know I was pretty impressed with it. I've seen you know also the more extensive tests that AC did with PGA, and um, and it's not necessarily so much the result. Although I, you know there's no question about that film still gives you the most beautiful image, but. Um, it's getting really, really close, especially with you know the digital projection, and if you're doing DI anyway. But um, I, on a picture like this, I would hate to do it, and and on W, I really didn't want to do it because it's a, a different workflow, and you know with Oliver ha hadn't done it before, and then you know having him in a black tent, and you know I like to always, I really try to keep my directors close to camera. I'm trying to minimize the video village part of the filmmaking especially for the director. Uh, and I've been successful doing that by giving them little handheld monitors and really having them stay next to camera. Um, so Mangle always has a little hand, hand job unit. And I have one myself. And you know, we just sort of roam around. But we're like right there with the camera crew. I just think it really helps communication, especially the way we're shooting. When I said we try to be flexible with the interaction of the actors and you know we're sending people in handheld in uh, you know in a sort of a free flow format you know it's great to be right there and actually you know gives Mangle the opportunity to, to talk to the actors while we're rolling and also to talk to the operator while we're rolling or I can see Mangle's instructions to the actors I can give instru instruction to the camera crew you know so we can be very reactive that way and it's great like with Alexander Payne we don't even have a video village at all I mean, a big picture like that you, you know I mean with Tom and the studio and all that you still need it and somebody's recording but on sideways we have nothing other than an onboard monitor and no, nothing's being recorded and uh, and you know, Alexander's right next to the camera, either standing on an apple box or kneeling next to it, and it's, it's great. I really love that. And uh, well, yeah, you mentioned Alexander Payne in your next film. You did The Descendants with him, right, which is coming out. And uh, so I guess I'd just kind of like to wrap things up by asking, I'm curious if you, going from 
a movie like Night and Day to something like The Descendants, which I'm assuming, based on his other films, is another pretty much purely character-driven, intimate uh, you know, dramedy. Um, do you have a preference between the two sorts of filmmaking, or do they? Do you think they both kind of feed each other? Well, I mean, like I said, I like, I really like the challenge of mixing things up. You know, I would hate to just do Alexander Payne movies. Although, if I had to pick something, I would do that. And in this particular case, coming off of Night and Day and going to Alexander's movie, and this is no dish on Night and Day, but it was like heaven going to a movie that's very intimate, very simple, all about performance. Clooney being like the greatest person to work with, uh, funny, uncomplicated, extremely talented. Uh, and you know, it's a real, you know, Alexander obviously. I mean, I remember saying on, on Sideways, I mean, I, I had an intern, Terry Siegel, and I said, to her, whatever you're experiencing on this film, don't get into the film industry because of this, because it will never happen to you again. You know, we're shooting in wine country, we're doing nine, 10 hour days. I mean, you have Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church, they're like on set, they, they don't go to the trailers, they just hang out, they're funny, everyone's in a great mood, you know, we're drinking wine. And I go, this really doesn't happen, like you got a good one. and and. I must say, you know, Alexander really recreated that same vibe on this film, and you know, it helped that he had um, George Clooney, who is also a filmmaker, understands everything. Also, doesn't go to his trailer, doesn't really have a staff. I mean, you know, coming off that other film, it's it's a big machine, and I really think. That big machine, I mean, it's necessary for a picture like that, but I don't enjoy it that much because it really hinders your creativity, I think. I mean, it becomes, you know, you, it's a skill and, you know, the organization and like pulling everything off and the coordination of everything. But, you know, to me, filmmaking is like capturing little moments, getting a feel for a story, getting a feel for a performance. Um, and, and also being able to react to things uh, and, and being able to, oh, you know, this, look at this incredible sunset over here. Let's run over to the beach. And, and George, like, can you change your T-shirt? And like, we all run down there. And you know, you can't do that on a Tom Cruise movie. Right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come by and uh, talk about it. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much.